Welcome back to the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas and Friends, Shining Time Station, the Railway Series, etc. I'm Tony. And I'm Orion. And we're back today to do another Railway Series book review. We are up to book number 12, uh, The Eight Famous Engines, uh, a rather special book for the Railway Series in more ways than one. It was um, the first book since Thomas the Tank Engine to did a new illustrator uh, in the form of John T. Kenny, uh, it, who had a quite a different style of illustrations than either of his three predecessors. Um, it was a bit more, uh, not, not, maybe not as gritty and realistic as the Edwards team would be, but certainly a different look to it. And we'll get more into that uh, throughout this and the next several books. Uh, it was also the first book that might have been the last of the series, but uh, we'll touch on that as well. So uh, let's just start. What are your opening thoughts, uh, initial thoughts rather, on Eight Famous Engines? Yeah, um, I think it's a good book. Um, I would mm. say it, it definitely has, it's a, it's a pretty solid collection of stories. Um, Interestingly, I would say, um, you know, of course, this is one of the first books, really, that we have a story that was not adapted for the TV series. Right. Um, in any in any way, as opposed to um, being a, a stories that were consolidated that we had had in, in previous books. Um, I guess the only other one that I can think of that would be Mrs. Kindly's Christmas Right, but exactly. even that Which, kind of right, yeah, flashback right. form. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, the only one that has never been referenced is uh, Gordon Goes Foreign. Exactly. Well, I should say, except yeah. a, um, a small reference in a later CGI episode, but right, and and it it we'll get into it more uh, when we talk about Gordon Goes Foreign, but uh, it it. We, we, we could have been saying something very different about it. Absolutely. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, I, I like this book. You know, it's um, not necessarily my favorite, but I, I quite enjoy it. It is a very good set of stories. Um, and it actually opens on a story that really almost could have been in the previous book. And that would be Percy Tapes the Plunge, or Percy Tapes the Plunge, rather. Um which, you know, because the previous book was Percy the Small Engine, uh, this almost feels like it would fit right in with those four stories. So, yeah. Yeah, it does. And what I guess is it's kind of interesting in that it, even though it does feel like it, it certainly um, could belong in Percy the Small Engine, part of what makes it feel uh, almost more part of this book, or at least to tie this story and then the last uh, story of the book together is that we, uh, this is the first time that we see engines from the other railway. Right. Um, and so, and then later, of course, in the Fat Controller's engines, um, we meet Jinty and Pug. So it's already established that um, that person knows engines. Uh, so that's kind of what makes this feel more of, of a piece as opposed to the previous volume. Right. Yeah. De definitely. So we do have that little overarching uh, thread because this is one of those. This is one of those books where there's really not an overarching thread. It was just 
which is interesting because from the last several books, there's always been something that ties all four of them together. And really, in this book, it's really only the first and last stories that get tied together at the end. Uh, And it's only through, as you said, the um, appearance of the engines from the other railway, uh, which, you know, right off the bat, uh, I I don't want to talk about it too much because i know we have several books to go through with with him but i love john t tenney's illustrations right off the bat it's it's really cool i like the uh the color of the of the british railway engines and such it's it's just a it's a markedly different style but it's a i think an improvement although no disrespect to dalby of course but i like kenny's style a bit more Oh, absolutely. I um, personally, Kenny is certainly my, my favorite illustrator yeah. of the railway series um, and uh, definitely an improvement over Dalby. Um, and, and again, he he was clearly influenced or at least somewhat by Dalby in that Dalby set style, really, for the series. Right. Um, but but he definitely veered off in a much more um, realistic direction um the engines certainly have a lot more weight to them um the facial expressions are probably one of the best aspects of kenny's illustrations um uh, particularly his humans uh, as well so yeah um he does quite a good job and i guess um one of the things right off the bat we were you were mentioning that this is kind of a collection of stories i think that's something that i actually really like about this book is that it's it kind of just a nice snapshot of different goings on throughout the island and i think that really shows audrey um maturing in his writing mm-hmm. in that he was able to write a book that didn't just focus on one uh one set of stories about a particular engine with maybe one side story um Whereas this is, it's just all over. He had developed the characters enough um, in that now each character, each of the main characters really had had their own book at this point. Um, each of the eight, except Duck, um, which he would have his own book in the next, uh, the, fo- the following year after this was published. Right. Um, but really just showing that he had firmly established these characters and uh, each of them had had at least uh you know, four or five stories of their own. Um, in Thomas's case, he had had, you know, probably almost 10 at this point mm-hmm. of his own. So it, it really, uh, it really shows that he was able to write a book that just focused on individual characters and seeing what was going on either on the main line or, um, on the branch line. Right. Um, and as, as for the story itself, you know, it's a fun story. Um, I, I've always, I've always had kind of a soft spot for Percy Takes the Plunge, both as a TV series adaptation and the railway series story in general. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun story, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's a great title too. Um, uh, it's a, you know, just a, a great um, grabber of a title mm. for sure. Um, as we, as we established, uh, the Reverend clearly enjoyed writing for Percy. He he had a lot of ideas uh, for Percy, and this is a great story. Um, I we we discussed that whenever we uh, episode um, right. again some great illustrations. Even though the illustration of the key uh, with the um, broils isn't quite right, um, mm-hmm. because it just shows. Uh, it's supposed to saying that the foundations of the key had sunk, 
but the illustration just shows a regular key and then some tracks that are bent up at the end, but not even at the end of the key. There, there's still a little bit left of the, um, of the structure. So it doesn't, it, it kind of an odd illustration. It is. Yeah. That's, um, th that is kind of a bizarre error to make. Uh, but like, I, I, I kind of did it because it's, it's still Kenny's first book and, you know, it's, um, it is kind of weird though, that, that, that happens. I, I hadn't really thought about that. So that's interesting. Uh, so this one, it's based on, um, well, according to Christopher, Christopher himself doesn't know exactly which, uh, what story it's based on, but he s supposes uh, that it could have been based on either this or a similar incident where a, um, there was a contractor in Burnham-on-Sea where um, the contractor's locomotive had uh, ran, ran off the end of a jetty. So, uh, you know, uh, potential uh, inspiration for this story, but who's to say? So, hmm. interesting. Um, but yeah, like I said, I I find this story really enjoyable, and uh, yeah. So, and next up, we have Gordon goes foreign. The uh, the first story. Uh, aside from Mrs. Tindley's Christmas, that wasn't either condensed into or adapted to the TV series, but it almost was. <laughs> um, it very well could have been. And in fact, I I don't think they got, I, I think they storyboarded it, but that's about as far as it got. So, yeah. And, and actually, uh, just to go back to first, who takes a plunge for one moment. Mm. Um, yes. Something I also wanted to add was that what's interesting is that this seems to be kind of the start. And even though we fault the TV series for this, um, even the Reverend was slightly guilty of the Fat Controller showing up. Uh, right. Um, in you know, with which is just slightly unbelievable, um, and particularly in this, you know, right after. Percy, uh, it says he tobogganed helplessly down. I love that he says that. Um, <laughs> and slithered into the sea. Uh, yep. And then immediately Percy hears uh, the Fat Controller saying, you are a very disobedient engine. And so it's the start of the Fat Controller just popping up all over the island anytime that any <laughs> which again, we've, we've faulted the TV series for, yeah. particularly the stories the adaptations of um, the Reverend stories, but then more particularly the stories written by Britt and David in, in season three that we just went over um, mm -hmm. these, uh, but it, it definitely did start um, with the, uh, with the Reverend. It was something I didn't really notice until looking at it just now, but really um, it, it, he definitely uh, did that as well, which is uh, still not, not the best device I think for the, uh, for the character of the fat controller. Yeah, I, I I see what you mean. Definitely, if if it were if it were a problem that only occurred in the TV series, one could almost say that it's as if the island of Sodor is magical. Uh, but as this is a railway series issue as well, it's probably just um, you know a case of needing the fashion controller to be there. It's it's basically don't let it it basically don't, don't let realism get in the way of a good story essentially um which is one of the few cases that the reverend does that because he's known for being pretty realistic other than that so it is interesting that 
even he is not immune to uh, the occasional bit of uh, coincidence. So, yes. So, jumping back but to yes, Gordon uh, Goes Foreign. Um, yeah, like, this... like I said, it almost made it into the TV series, <laughs> but it didn't. I think that's for the better. I don't... Um... Yes. People say, I, I really don't think this this would not as a TV no. series. So, um, it, it just too specific to uh, England and yeah. um, it, it just doesn't it doesn't really play as a it plays as a story textually mm-hmm. but not adequately at all um, it would have yeah. just been such a boring episode because they would have been talking and then he would have uh, you know the scene of him going to London sure I'm sure um, David um, would have come up uh, quite great but yeah. um, but I don't I just don't think that anything else would have really come of it that would have elevated the story to the status of the other um, that could have been done no. in the railway series. So I it's it's better not every single story from the railway series should have been adapted. And I think that's something that's often right. missed in the arguments for um, whether it be the uh, mounted engines or um, episodes such as the missing coach that are just too wordy, too complicated to explain in, in narration, mm-hmm. um, too, certainly too British, um, in that once season three rolled around, they would have been thinking of, of every episode being exported to America and the world really at that point. So right. could not be specific. This is just, it just, would never have worked. And I think it's really for yeah. the better that they never made it. And it, it's, and in a way, it's almost refreshing that there are some stories from the railway series that weren't adapted because then they just mm-hmm. they it's nice to read a story um, that we don't have another frame of reference for. It's just what right. it is. So it's just as if we're reading it um, without as they would have at that time. Exactly. You know, um, I, I definitely agree that this probably would not have worked very well in the TV series, at least not once uh, the show got exported to America. Um, if it had remained a British-only series, as it was for the first two seasons, uh, because they were thinking of adapting this for season two, uh, then sure. But once it got exported to America, this episode just wouldn't have worked. It, it would have been an episode that either you know, was left as is and was just completely confusing for American audiences, or it would be similar to the Christmas mountain, whatever adventure from series three, where it just would have been mangled up in trying to be American and then retroactively trying not to be American. And it just would have been a huge mess. Yeah. And I, I just think as much as I like this story, I think it, what's interesting is that it almost feels like a story that would have been written by a fan of our generation yes. now. Yes. It really feels like an, um, like an extended railway series story in a way. It and does. I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that as it's written almost from a more adult perspective in that, in the naming of the stations, this almost mm-hmm. feels like a gag story that the Reverend wrote uh, right. just for his own amusement in, in thinking of what the engines would talk about. That's not necessarily for children and not in an adult, uh, in mm-hmm. a, in an appropriate way, just in a more, mature way and i I just think it it doesn't it just doesn't work i think for as a children's story and it does not work 
and it certainly would not have worked as a TV series adaptation. However, reading it as an adult fan of the railway series and as an adult fan of Thomas, I think this, I think it's, it's a great story. And I think it's, it's very funny, actually. It's, and it's, it it's quite a clever concept, um, mm-hmm. but not really one that, that works for its uh, a target audience at that time. I, I agree completely. It, it is a fun story as an adult. Um, and it's interesting because at least according to Christopher, um, this story is not based on a specific incident, more an anecdote that um, the Reverend uh, was told about someone getting confused between two, potentially three uh, stations on the LMS. And those three stations would be Houston, St. Pancras and Broad Street. Um, and so he just sort of adapted, you know, after hearing that anecdote, decided to adapt it into a railway series story, which when you're a kid, as you said, it might not be the best thing ever. But I actually quite enjoy this story as an adult. Um, so, yes. Um, yeah, like, like I said, it really just feels like um, like a story written by it feels like fan fiction. Um, yes. It does. Because of knowing that Duck was a station pilot in, you know, at Paddington, most likely because of his class and and all that. It just, it really feels like something that was written by someone who has that iceberg knowledge of, (laughs) Mm -hmm. of, um, of the railway series of um, each engine's basis and um, everything like that. Uh, So it's, it's kind of an interesting artifact in that way. And, uh, and actually kind of a fun aside as well about the mixing up of the stations is something interesting actually um, happened to uh, JK Rowling um, when she oh. um, was writing Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, she was thinking of Houston whenever yeah. she was um, thinking of the plat between platforms nine and 10 for platform mm-hmm. nine and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, when, because actually King's cross is not laid out in that way. Um, so it's interesting that you know in the book she stated it was king's cross because she hadn't been there in a long time um and now they have a fake platform nine and ten for you know for that but it's quite interesting um yeah just another uh element of confusion with all of the london stations um that are there for and at that time for each of the big four right i mean well because as as we just heard there are at least one for each of the big four two for the two potentially three for the lms if you count broad street um so yeah well and technically at this time they were all um they had all been um uh it was all br at this time but well that's true but um and, and just you know going through the illustrations in this story of course the most iconic illustration of the story and one of the most iconic illustrations i think really of the railway series is gordon mm. puffing across the viaduct um yes it's just a great great illustration really um just the first really uh great work from john t kenny for the series um oh yes i'm sure the reverend was just ecstatic to see um these illustrations at just such an improvement over <laughs> over dolby <laughs> who he obviously I... um, did not uh, of whose work he did not particularly care for. Uh, particularly at this time in his life, yeah. After after the blow-up they had, um, we were following the Reverend's comments about green caterpillars with red stripes. Yes. Um, Even though Dalby's work really, I think, was so instrumental in the success of the books. It was. There's no denying that. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that, I'm sure that somewhere in his heart the Reverend knew that, but, you know, there's only so many 
illustration issues a man can take, I guess. So, you know, that whether that's not to say that he was right or wrong or anything like that. It's just uh, that the way it happened. So, yeah. Uh, but no, it is great to see uh, such detail. And it, and it is, it is one of the iconic images of Gordon, at least. Um, maybe, maybe one of the more iconic images of the railway series in general. Um, so, yes, it's a, it's a fun story. Uh, you know, I, we, we haven't touched on this very much. Um, and really mostly just because there hasn't been a great moment to uh, before this. Uh, one of the things that I really like about this story is um, the railway stories, uh, as in the audio narrations of the railway series that were put out basically from, I want to say sometime in the fifties or sixties up until the eighties um, first with Johnny Morris, but, at, but where we are in the books now with really Ru- Willie Rushton, I really like Willie Rushton's narration for this story as well. So. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I like Willie Rushton's narration of all of them. Um, oh, same here. <laughs> just what a wonderful voice. Mm. Um, and uh, a great choice to narrate the railway series. Johnny Morris was a bit um, more calming <laughs> and, uh, and quiet, which was, it, it's interesting because that's perfect for the early railway series. It books. is. It, it's just interesting that it worked out that way. Right. Um, and then as we move into the other stuff, it just, uh, Willie Rushton's voice is quite good. And then of course, um, Ted Robbins for the Christopher books, he mm-hmm. did quite a nice job as well. He did. Um, but yeah, I don't know why specifically I wanted to single out this story, but there is something about Willie Rushton's, uh, narration for this story in particular that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it it's part of what drew me to this story is hearing is, narration because before this i hadn't really i mean i'd read the story of course as i've read all of the stories in in the railway series books but uh you know i, I never really paid much attention to it until i heard willie rushton's narration for it and it's it's so good um i i don't know why but like the way he delivers the it's it isn't king's cross anymore it's saint pancras i don't know why i like it i just it amuses me no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I kind of had a similar experience myself, actually, with this story, listening to uh, the Willie Rushton um, oh. narration of it. Just uh, And again, part of that might have to do with the fact that it wasn't adapted for the TV series, so therefore the only other version of the story that we have is that narration. Right. Um, of uh, other official version, I should say. Of course, there's been fan... Uh, uh, narrations and um, trains adaptations and wooden railway adaptations and you know and, and an audio narration in, in, that Ryan did a few years ago exactly in the fan world but in right. terms of a, a professional official version of the story the only other version is the um, either the Willie Rushton or um, Michael uh, for did um, uh, Michael Angelus do the um, narration of the story for the version of the railway stories. He did, yeah. He, That's he what got I thought. Several yeah. of them. He uh, he got up to he got up to like a bit past midway through the Reverend's books, and so yeah, he 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 definitely did this one. I haven't uh, haven't sought those out as readily as I could or should have, perhaps. But um, you know, uh, it is out there. 
Um, so, you know, there are two, um, which, which is interesting because for Michael Angelis being the UK narrator for so long, his narration of it is the closest we can get to hearing what a TV series version would have been like. Now, albeit slightly different because Ringo would have been the one narrating it if it were adapted in series two, but it's the closest we're going to come to anything resembling what the TV version might've sounded like. So, so yes. Um, So then I, yeah. um, Moving on uh, because as, as great as this story is, there are two others in this book. Um, So the next story is double header, which uh, I I don't know. I I sort of have mixed feelings about this story. I liked it. Ah, uh, it's it's hard for me to say. I might like it better as an adaptation than I do as the story, but I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of conflicted. Uh, it's just kind of it's an okay story, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah, um, it's interesting because it it really. I mean, I like that it's going back to that James and Toby dynamic. Toby the Tram Engine from Dirty Objects specifically. Um, this almost feels like it belongs in that book. Um, it does, and it's it's not a bad um, it's not a bad story. In a way, though, it almost feels like a step backwards. Yes. Um, in in that, it almost feels like he pulled out an old draft of another story that he had written for Toby the Tram Engine, and decided to pull it out for this book. When you know, it kind of feels like we moved on story at this point. Um, but um but it's it's a it's a fine little story um and even though i'm not uh, even though the tv series adaptation is certainly not my favorite episode um it i still think it it does something different with the story um this this story just yeah i'm i'm kind of indifferent to it it doesn't yeah. really it's just kind of there but um and i always thought it was interesting especially as a kid seeing toby with his um with the blue right his um side plates it's just it's it's an interesting choice I, it's and what's interesting is in the dolby illustrations it's a darker blue and mm-hmm. a darker brown so it, it doesn't look quite as weird i think it looks really weird with the um the lighter blue that yeah. kenny gives him yes. um and uh it just doesn't quite work i think it, it just looks kind of bizarre I, I prefer toby really in in the way that they just kept him in the tv series yeah i i'd have to agree with that um interestingly this story is apparently based on an incident uh i don't know whether the reverend actually witnessed it or just simply heard about it uh but it happened uh, fittingly enough on the whisper and upwell tramway which you know is very fitting because it was uh you know because of toby so, uh, you know, and so it's nice that he was able to find another incident from the uh, basis of Toby, uh, you know, a, an incident that actually happened to them because they do have quite small water tanks, the locomotives that Toby is based on. So, uh, again, I don't know whether the Reverend actually saw it happen or just heard about it, but it, it did happen while he and the family were living in Westbeck near the tramway. So... So yeah, which is interesting. Absolutely. Um, and I think 
what's interesting too about is about the story is the final illustration um, mm. does feature um, a guards van from the Skrullowy Railway. Um, it does at the at the end, which is kind of a nice little nod that the workstation is Crovin's Gate, um, mm-hmm. all uh, kind of uh, consistently establishing the world of Sodor that is slowly uh, kind of coming to fruition here uh, throughout these books. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I just like it's kind of a nice little Easter egg. It is. It, it's I, and I hadn't really noticed that until you pointed it out. Really, but that is that is definitely a Star Louis Railway Braid fan. So yeah, very nice. Um, so yeah, on the whole, just kind of a meh story, but you know, not bad. Uh, I think the adaptation might be a little bit better, but uh, that's just me. And now moving on to a story that was adapted, but that we haven't gotten to do a commentary on yet. Um, and that would be the Fat Controller's Engines, the uh, uh, yes. So, um, interesting story. I actually rather like the story. Uh, may, again, I think I like the adaptation slightly more. But, oh, um, I, I, I would say I definitely prefer, um, prefer the adaptation. The adaptation yeah. is probably, is one of, certainly one of my top 20 favorite episodes of the, of the show. Okay. Uh, so, and I, I know it's a fan favorite as well. Um, yes. Thomas and the special letter is certainly, um, up there for for many many people um yes. ultimately I, I the story's okay i don't um it's it's cool that we have jinty and pog in there um mm-hmm. but um again that wouldn't really have worked for the tv series so that's perfectly fine um that they just had other engines come in such as oliver um yeah i suppose um but um and i mean the idea it does seem a little far-fetched that the fat <laughs> controller would take all of his engines out of commission and then they would just have uh, seven engines on loan from the other railway to run the entire island. Right. They're gone. I mean, not the entire island because we're supposed to believe there are other engines as well, but um, it just seems slightly ridiculous. Um, it does. It's, it's, it's a cute idea. Yeah. But I just don't, it's, it's kind of ridiculous looking back over it the way it's written it, you if if it's it's one of those things where if if you know the context in which it was written you can definitely see why it was written this way because as i said at the beginning this could and the reverend was planning on this being the final railway series book originally um and you can kind of tell it's sort of like you know, everyone gets like a little moment, uh, you know, all of the original seven, uh, you know, I mean, Duck got a got his moment earlier in the story, uh, sorry, earlier in the book with uh, Gordon knows foreign. Um, James and Toby have their moments earlier on. Percy has his moment. And then this one is really Thomas's moment. Uh, Edward and Henry don't really get their own moments per se, but uh, which is interesting because they were the first they and Gordon were the first two locomotives in the railway series or sorry, yeah, yeah, I mean, three, I should say. Yeah. Henry gets a little moment at the beginning of purse who takes the plunge and even That's has true. reference of course, to, uh, to the sad story of Henry. That's um, true. but it is, it is Edward of course, doesn't have a, a moment at all. Right. Which is interesting. Um, considering what's happened over, um, 
considering fan reaction rather to things that have happened over the last few years it's interesting that edward who was the first engine in the railway series doesn't get a moment here um you know but uh, that's another story entirely uh, but like as i was saying you can kind of tell this is meant to be sort of a greatest hits this whole book really is kind of meant to be sort of a greatest hits uh you know one one final moment for each of the engines, except Edward. Um, but especially this story where they have all of the seven, uh, well, eight rather, because, you know, Duck is there. All of the eight engines together. And, you know, there's that nice shot of, uh, which is also the book cover, uh, the final the final illustration in this, which is also the book cover, has all eight of them lined up together. You can tell if you know that this was supposed to be the last one, you can kind of tell that it's meant to close off uh, the series really. So at least in my opinion. No. Yeah, absolutely. I do understand that. Um, uh, definitely agree. Um, and it, and it does work in that, in that context. Right. Um, you know, especially, especially with the closing line, nothing can compare with our fat controllers engines. Like, Wow. What, what an ending. Um, but again, I as a story, it's okay. Um, Jinty and Pug appear one of the few times they actually do appear. Um, so yeah, it it's fine. It's not my favorite. Uh, I think Thomas and the Special Letter works a bit better, but uh, on the whole, it's okay. Uh, it's interesting because n- normally. There's like, I either like the entire book or I think one or two of the stories are good. This is one of the things, this is one of those things where it starts out really strong and then just becomes kind of meh at the end, uh, which is almost a reversal from some of the previous books where I think they've started out just okay and then got better as they went on. This actually starts off really nicely and then just kind of simmers a bit and is like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, I agree. And I, I would say this is also a case where every adaptation of these stories, um, of course, Gordon goes foreign excluded, um, <laughs> but every the three adaptations of these stories for the TV series um, are better. Yes. Than their um, than their textual counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly in the case of the Fat Controllers engines, I, I think, like I said, Thomas and the Special Letter is usually consistently ranked um, by fans as one of the best episodes of the series. Yeah. Um, and um, and then, uh, as we said, uh, time for trouble is is better than doubleheader. Um, and then Percy takes a plunge is uh, is a classic episode and, and is better than the, the story. So mm-hmm. um, if, if I had to rank these stories, I would probably say for me, it would go. Um, uh, probably. Percy takes a plunge. Uh, I would probably just go right down the line. Percy yeah. Takes a plunge, go to and go Gordon goes foreign doubleheader and the fat controllers engines. Um, yeah, maybe, I, I, maybe swapping the fat controllers engine to doubleheader, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. I would just go in story order. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a fine book. It's, it's again, not necessarily one of my favorites, but it's a very nice book. Um, the illustrations are beautiful. Uh, you know, most of them at least. Um, so strong start for John T. Kenny. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm glad that this wasn't the last Railway Series book. Um, I, you know, perhaps we might have a different opinion on it if it had been. Then again, 
if it had been, we probably wouldn't have gotten the uh, the television series and wouldn't be here talking about it. So, uh, but, you know, uh, on the whole, it's a fine book, you know. Uh, but I'm I'm glad that it wasn't the last. I'm glad that the publishers were able to persuade Wilbert to write another set of stories and that he could think of uh, several other uh, sets of stories after that. So, uh, but yeah, you know, so those, uh, any last thoughts on the book as a whole? Yeah. Um, a decent book, um, a good start for John T. Kenny. He certainly, um, I, I would say the one area that he certainly improved a lot of these announcements of the images that we have, um, uh, since I haven't looked at any first editions or anything like that of the, right. of this book, but, um, uh, the, um, his, the, the colors, um, some of them seem a bit uh, brighter and more washed out in mm-hmm. some of the stories. Whereas I think he developed a, a better, uh, richness of, of the palette, um, and, and in his, uh, you know, use of light in his, uh, illustrations in later books. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's a, still a strong start for him. Certainly an improvement over uh, Dalby's work of that period. Yeah. And uh, and it's it, as you said, it's kind of a nice greatest hits uh, in terms of uh, catching up with all of these characters um, that we have established in the last eleven books. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's. I'm glad it was not the last Railway Series book because he had a lot of great stories left in him. Um, really, some of his best work was still ahead of him. So. Um, uh, particularly in the area of the of the Scarlowy engines, so yes. um, it's uh, yeah, it was a it's a decent book, but certainly not one of my favorites um, of the of the series at all. Right. All right. Well, uh, that's really basically our thoughts on the eight famous engines. We'd love to hear your thoughts, of course. Uh, you know, you can send us a message on Facebook, uh, facebook.com/slash talking thomas pod. Or you can tweet us on Twitter at, at TalkingThomas1. Um, of course, you can listen to us in a number of places. We have, um, we're have we on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, a bunch of other podcasting platforms, of course, and our home is Anchor. Um, so thank you all so much for listening, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>